My name is Christian. And I'm Rob. And this is Faith 168. There are 168 hours in every week. And in those 168 hours, we need Jesus to make it through. So join us every week as we share devotions, talk about standing boldly in the Word of God, and answer tough questions submitted by you, our listeners. Welcome Welcome to to Faith 168. So there's this thing called the me factor. Has anyone ever heard of that? I'm sure if you have kids and you've raised kids, you've seen this factor play out in their life. The me factor is me, 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 me. But the me factor has risen dramatically in the past 30 years. In fact, uh, the two groups known as the boomers and the millennials are known as the me generations, both of them combined. There's not a separation in it, but they say that's about where the dramatic increase in the me factor has happened. Social media and literature focus on me and I more frequently than we and us. The American Psychological Association has done research that links this behavior to social media and the ability to take out loans to appear wealthier. Students nowadays score much higher with narcissistic tendencies than they do with empathy. In fact, the other night, Katie and I were just talking about this. Another part of that study uh, was talking about the names of children. Every parent wants to name their children something unique, something that makes them an individual, something that won't tie them to someone else. But if you go back more than 30 years ago, people had a lot of the same names, right? You didn't think about who was naming who, John or Luke or uh, so-and-so named their daughter or their son this or that. You just named them something that meant something to you, whether it was a popular name or whether it wasn't, because there was more of a sense of community. There was more of a sense of we. There was more of a sense of us. And is it not surprising that America was greater during those times, was more unified during those times when it was focused on more we and us than me and I? And so the past 30 years we've seen this me factor and me, me, me leads us to the belief that we should be served rather than be serving But that completely contradicts our Christian belief, right? That completely contradicts what Christ has called us to do. And so then as we see this me factor introduced into the world, dramatically increasing in American culture, what do you think is going to happen to the church when the church gets to that idea of the me factor? How many times do people choose what church they're going to based on the me factor how can this church serve me what type of youth ministry does this church to serve my kids what type of parent ministry does this church have to serve my interest do they have a coffee lounge uh, in the foyer do they have smoke machines and musics that 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 catches my interest me 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 me, me, if you are here for 
serving yourself and your interest today, I promise you, you will get nothing out of this message. Because the reason that Christians gather together in the congregation, in church, is not to serve our interest, our desires, but to be filled, to be strengthened so that we can go out of these doors and serve the will of God. So today let's look about what it means to be a living sacrifice in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 through 8. But before we go into the scripture, let's go ahead and go to the Lord in a word of prayer this morning. Father, I thank you so much for bringing us here together. I just pray that uh, you help us to remove all distractions today. Help us to put our desires, our thoughts, our opinions to the side. And help us to focus on your will and your perfect word this morning. Father, take my words and make them yours. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So let's go ahead and read verse 1 through 2 together. And Paul writes this, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Has nothing to do with us, right? Paul doesn't say, hey, uh, let's, let's focus on what we need to do. Let's focus on what we want to do. Let's focus on our desires. Let's focus on our will. But it's all starting right here in chapter 12, focused on the will of God. And here's what I would say would be a point today if I would go and buy the ink for the printer to print out the bulletins. But our first point would be, it is your reasonable service to be a living sacrifice to God. Why? Because he sacrificed all for us. You see, we were bought at a price. And when we were bought at a price, we weren't bought so that we could continue to live in sin. We weren't bought so that we could continue to be a part of this world. We were bought so that we could be a part of the kingdom of God and serve the will of God. And so it's our reasonable service as Christians. Key word, as Christians right there. If you say, hey, I am a Christian. I have put my faith in Jesus. I believe that he's the son of God. I believe he died on the cross for my sins. I believe he rose from the grave to promise me life in him. I believe that he's coming back for me. It would be your reasonable service after understanding these things that if he gave so much for us, we should give everything for him. So it is our reasonable service to be a living sacrifice. That means I'm giving up everything in my life to serve the will of God. When it comes to your relationships, I know we got some young men and some young ladies, when you're looking for a spouse, you don't look for a spouse based on your will. You don't look for uh, a spouse based on your desire, but you look for a spouse based on the will of God. Those are the relationships that are strengthened. That doesn't mean that uh, they're not going to be someone you like. It doesn't mean that they're not going to be someone you love or, or anything like that. But it simply means a lot of times the world will present to you what you're supposed to chase after. And the world's telling you 
a lot of different things to chase after right now. But God would tell you to find someone that loves him the way that you love him. God would tell you to find someone that is going to serve him alongside you, that is going to lift you up, that is going to help you out and not draw you away from him. You see, the world says, don't worry about religion, don't worry about faith when it comes to relationships, but Jesus says, if you're going to sacrifice all for me, you need to be equally yoked. It means you need to have someone that is in your corner that has the same beliefs the same faith as you. So that even means sacrificing some of our desires on who we're chasing after as a spouse. When it comes to our jobs, even. Our jobs, when we say, I'm going to be a living sacrifice, that's my reasonable service, we pick our jobs based on our faith. Now, that doesn't mean that there are jobs out there that, oh, well, you know, that that's considered a Christian job or not. No, it's not saying anything like that. It's saying before you accept a job, what do you do? You seek the will of God. God, is this where you want me? Is this where you can use me? Can I reach people for you? Is this going to be a fruitful ministry for you? Or is this going to be a job that draws me further from you? Is this a job that keeps me from uh, joining together and gathering uh, with the assembly and, and, and keeps me from uh, worshiping you the way you ought to be worshipped? You see, as a young man, I was, I was told many times when I was going out to work, that being in the ministry and, and working, it wasn't going to work out. Because the food industry and places I would work at, they said, we're going to have to have you on Sunday. And I say, well, I can't work for you if I can't go to church. I can't, I can't, I can't work for you if, if you're going to keep me from going and worshiping my God with other believers. That is the time I literally set aside for him every week to go and worship him with other believers. Believers, take me out any other day of the week. Just give me Sundays and Wednesdays. And not even Wednesdays during the day. Bring me in Wednesdays during the day, but at the nighttime when I'm meeting with the people of God, let me go and do that. So is your job taking you away from worshiping God? Or is it giving you the ability to grow in your faith? And guess what? God would say if it's taking away, what should you do? You need a new job. You need a new career path. But to be a living sacrifice means everything, right? It means that with sports. It means that even with education. Not saying that you don't need to be educated or anything like that. We'll talk actually a little bit more about that. But if any of these things in life take you away from worshiping God, make your faith weaker rather than stronger than those things in your life should be sacrificed. They should be given up for the will of God. Why again? Why is it a reasonable service? Because he gave all for us. Jesus could have literally stayed on his heavenly throne and said, you know what? The world got themselves into this mess. They're not going to be able to get themselves out of that me this mess. And I am just fine without them because he can go on without us. But guess what? We can't go on without him. And it's because of his great love for us. He gave himself for us. John 3.16 says this. For God so loved the world 
that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. He gave everything for us. So this goes against the worldly ideology of, I deserve this, I deserve that. You see, when people are handed things today, they typically aren't grateful, are they? Has anyone ever just thought they deserve things? In this political climate even, and I'm not telling you, you know, look at the Republicans or look at the Democrats, but politically, in general, people just think they deserve certain things. And the truth is, we don't really deserve as much as we think. But a lot of times when people get different things like government handouts or donations or gifts or anything like that, and I don't know if you've ever seen a kid that got a gift at Christmas that they did not want, they open it up and you can see the disappointment on their faith. They're not grateful because they don't have this understanding that someone went out of their way to spend time, to spend money, to wrap up a gift and bring it to them so that they could uh, have something that they didn't have before. Because all they're thinking is this gift is supposed to be something that I want more than anything. I remember those times opening up gifts and thinking, this is what you got me? Excuse me? Here's one thing. hate to get too political, but health care. It would be great to have universal health care, wouldn't it? It would be wonderful. I'd love it. But guess what you're not entitled to? You're not entitled to universal health care. You are responsible for your own health. Debt forgiveness. Another thing I'd love to have, which I do, I do. I have debt forgiveness in Christ. The greatest debt that I have ever had was delivered, was taken away, was paid on my behalf by Christ, my debt of sin. But I'm talking about, let's look at this world. Everyone's screaming today that we deserve debt forgiveness. No, you don't. No one is responsible for your past or your debt other than yourself. I hate to say that because let me tell you, I'm still paying on my college. <laughs> I'd, I'd love, and I would accept it in a heartbeat. But if it doesn't come my way, guess what? I can't stop and complain because who got myself there? Me. I got myself there. Education. We have public school systems. And that's great. Or it used to be. I'm not sure. It's hard to tell. There are still great teachers in these school systems, but these government-run schools are starting to crumble and, and, and be pressured uh, under several different political persuasions. But the government isn't responsible for your education. The government isn't responsible for your children's education. Biblically, the parents are responsible for the education of the children. And that education wasn't necessarily supposed to be, let me teach you uh, uh, calculus and let me teach you all of these different things, but the education, first and foremost, that kids need more than anything is education in the Lord. Teach your kid up in the way that they should go and they will not depart from it when they get older. Education is supposed to be based on God. Not saying don't teach them math. They need to learn math. They need to know simple addition and subtraction because I promise you, unless you're going to build a rocket to go to space, 
You're not going to use anything beyond simple math. <laughs> Whew. So, yeah. Actually, I, th I think Melissa's ready to, to let us know something. But we have a habit. We have this horrible habit of thinking we deserve things that we don't. Our salvation. The sacrifice that God made for us because of our sin is something we absolutely, positively do not deserve. Just like all of that list of things we do not deserve, that we scream we do deserve, there's this new thought, this new theology that people are presenting called universalism, that everyone just deserves to be saved. It doesn't matter whether they have faith or not. It doesn't matter whether they submit to the Lordship of Christ. It doesn't matter whether they blaspheme God from Sunday morning to Sunday evening the next week. One thing we absolutely positively, none of us deserve, even the saved, especially the saved, is our salvation. We don't deserve it. It's a gift. It's a privilege. And that gift and that privilege, it moves us to repentance. Not living where we used to when we accepted that gift. When we got that gift, it moves us to repentance and becoming a living sacrifice so do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God what people should see in Christians is not a snobby narcissistic holier than thou type of person they should see a humble loving charitable living sacrifice follower of Christ that's what the world should see 1st John chapter 2 verse 15 through 17 do not love the world or the things in the world if anyone loves the world the love of the father is not in him for all that is in the world the lust of the flesh the lust of the eyes the pride of life is not of the father but is of the world and the world is passing away and the lust of it but he who does the will of God abides forever. Being a living sacrifice, that gift moves you to being a living sacrifice. And those are the ones that continue eternally in the grace of God. James chapter 4 verse 4 through 6. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously. But he gives more grace, therefore he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. The proud are the ones that serve themselves. That use the world for their own gain, financial gain, worldly gain, build up their kingdom here in this world, but to love the world and give yourself to the world instead of being a living sacrifice to God puts you in enmity with God. And here's the point about this. It's not that God has come against you. God wants a relationship with you. It's not that God has declared himself your enemy 
is that when you choose the world over him, you have declared yourself the enemy of God. Not the other way around. A lot of people want God to be the bully in that situation. It's not God that's the bully. Who's the bully? Who's the selfish one? Who's the one that got themselves into that mess? It's the person who chose the world over God. So this world, it's crumbling. It's pitted itself against God. I encourage you, don't choose temporary pleasures over an eternal God. Sacrifice those temporary pleasures for an eternity of peace and joy in Christ. Verse 3, it goes on. For I say through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. So going on and being this living sacrifice for God is to get rid of your pride. Pride is a part of the world. Boasting is a part of the world. Sometimes we bring that into the church as well. Did you know that every leader, uh, leadership position of the church is actually a servant's position? Do you know a pastor isn't necessarily the authoritative person that a lot of people have put them up to be? They are the biggest servants of the church. Now, when they serve correctly, it's easier to listen to them and take their words. But every position in the church, no matter where they stand or where they sit, is a servant's position. A pastor, a deacon, a youth minister, a teacher, a song leader, they're not the head of the church. Christ is. So don't become so self-absorbed that you look at different positions of the church and envy different positions of the church for your own gain because if you're coming again once more to church for your own gain, for your, for your own selfish ambitions and desires, then you're here for the wrong reason and these messages are just falling on deaf ears. You're not even here to listen to the message, but to see how many people can see how good you are. Just like the Pharisees, they love to show off how great they were. They love to have the best seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted at dinners. Maybe that's another big thing wrong with the church today in America, is that we have more Pharisees coming to the church building than Christians. So don't become so self-absorbed that you become like that. Don't become so self-absorbed that you look at yourself higher than anyone else, that you look at the drug dealer or the prostitute or the criminal down the road and think that you yourself are better than them, that you yourself are more worthy of God's love than they are. Because guess what? Jesus died for them just as much as he died for you. Also, don't do this. Don't be self-deprecating. So don't lower yourself to a point to where you think that others are necessarily higher than you because of other things that you see, outward things that you see. Don't look at the person in church that has the nicest suit or puts the most money in the offering plate than anyone else and think that they are more worthy of God's love than you are. Because guess what? God sent his son to die for you just as much as he sent his son to die for them. We're all one in Christ, right? 
we're all one body. We have different roles. We have, we have different roles to play, but we all are together for one purpose, and that is to serve the will of God. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1 through 2. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. You see, a lot of believers, just like the Pharisees, uh, the, the Jewish leaders of the day, they would look at the Gentiles and they would say those godless, useless, dirty, awful Gentiles. Or they'd look at the Samaritans. Those Samaritans are awful and unworthy of God's grace, of God's love. But Jesus didn't come to die for any certain skin color. He didn't come to die for any certain nation in general. He came to die to not just get rid of the sins of a couple people, but to take care of the sin debt for the whole world. Now don't get me wrong, this isn't saying that everybody's just saved. It's just Jesus came and did the one thing we couldn't. He became the perfect sacrifice. He became the perfect payment for our sin. And no longer is it necessarily our sin that condemns us, it's our unfaithfulness that condemns us. Because our sin problem is taken care of. All we have to do is put our faith in Christ and our sins will be remembered no more. So the sin isn't the problem now. That debt has been paid. All you have to do is accept the payment. Now it's unfaithfulness. Think soberly. Realize that none of us are worthy of God's love, but he gives it to us anyway. So here's another point today. A Christian boasts only in the grace of God. If there's anything to boast about, if there's anything to shout out on the rooftops, it's not I, 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 it's not me, me, me. It's God, 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 his grace Grace, grace. A Christian boasts only in the grace of God. I'm not a great person, and the greatest thing about me is the fact that the Holy Spirit dwells within me. The greatest thing about me has nothing to do with my accomplishments, has nothing to do with my, uh, my, my job or my job title. It has everything to do with Jesus. And finally, verse 4 through 8. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we being many are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Now here is where sacrifice really becomes important. God has designed us uniquely for his purposes. Serve where God calls you, not where you desire or feel more important. Serve where God calls you. Does anyone here think I ever wanted to be a pastor? Mm. When God called me into the ministry, when I knew that he said, you know, your focus in your life is going to be ministering, is going to be preaching my word, is going to be leading people to me, the first thing I thought was, please God, don't let me be a pastor. 
I've seen so many pastors. I knew so many great pastors in my life. And I saw the chaos that they had to put up with. I saw the things that people said about them, and I thought, you know what? They go through all this trouble without really anything to it. They don't get to see much movement because a lot of times there's people that that keep things from from moving along. And I praise God that I'm not in a church like that. Someone say amen. (laughs) I wanted to be an overseas missionary. I wanted to be in a place where at least if I was attacked, I was going to see some profit in it. Please, God, make me a missionary, not a pastor. Oh, man, did God laugh at that. What am I today? A pastor. But you know what? If I had followed my desire, I would have been miserable, even though I would have been preaching the word of God. Because God didn't call me to be an overseas missionary. He called me to be a pastor. If I had followed that desire of me wanting to go to Tennessee when I lived in Murray, I wanted to go to Tennessee and build up churches in areas that were underserved, that didn't have enough churches. I wanted to go and start that up and and kind of be a missionary and pastor in that sense. Uh, Guess what? I wouldn't be here today, but I would be miserable in Tennessee. But I thank God that I have a wonderful wife that when I'm not listening to the will of God, she is. And she said, you know what, why don't we pray about this? And God led us here to southern Illinois. So serve where God has called you. 1 Corinthians 13, I mean, not 13, 12. (laughs) Got the love chapter on the mind. Chapter 12, verse 12 through 19, For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. For in fact the body is not one member, but many. If the foot should say, Because I am not a hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, because I am, not of an eye, uh, I am not an eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? Don't complain about being the feet because it's dirty work. Don't be complain about being the nose because sometimes things smell funny, funny. Wherever God has set you, wherever God has prepared you, wherever God has called you, sacrifice your desires. Be a living sacrifice unto him and serve exactly where he has called you to serve so christians remember this that god gave his all for you so you give your all for him don't look to serve your own purposes or build up glory for yourself here in this world but diligently seek god's guidance and how you can best serve him and today maybe 
you're not a Christian, you've never put your faith in Christ, whether you are here today or maybe you're watching this a little bit later on, I want you to know this, that Jesus died for you. He gave himself for you. You have the choice to give yourself to him today. I encourage you to do that. He could have gone on. He could have sat on his heavenly throne. He doesn't need us to continue on, but we need him to continue on. He gave himself for you. So if you haven't already done so, I encourage you to give yourself to him today. If you're here today and you haven't done that, I encourage you come forward. Step forward and, and put your faith in him. Uh, profess that before the world. Uh, we'll baptize you. You'll become a part of the church, a part of the body, and God will use you greatly however he sees fit. Maybe you're a Christian today and you're going through something. I don't know what's going on, but part of coming to church is being a part of the body and, and being emboldened, being exhorted, being lifted up in our times of need, praying for each other when things seem to go amiss. If you're a Christian here today and something's going on in your life that you need to lay down before God, that you need brothers and sisters in Christ to pray about, please come forward today. Let it be known what's on your heart. Let it be known to your family, your church family, which is stronger than blood family, I believe. Let it be known before us today so that we can pray and lift these things up to God. So let's, uh, let us go ahead and, let us go, ahead and uh, go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Father, I thank you so much for today and for each person here. Father, help us as we go into this world to put our desires to the side and to be living sacrifices for you. And Father, if there's anyone lost today that hasn't put their faith in you today, I pray that they be found. Continue to call on them. Continue to show them who you are and that you want a relationship with them. And Father, if you can use us to help lead them in that direction, use us however you will, Father. And Father, today, if there's anyone hurting, any brother or sister today, give them the strength to reach out. Give them the strength to fall before you, submit to you, and trust in you with any problem that they are facing. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. Every week has its trials and tribulations, and we want to encourage you to seek Christ during those times. We want to pray for you during those times. So look us up on Facebook by typing in Faith. 168 podcast and send us a message it can be a prayer request or maybe you want us to answer a question that you've been contemplating just send us a message thank you so much for joining us today and we will see you again in 168 hours